If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss. The lore in the making. Luckily... Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision. Every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. I'm Rebecca Franks, the magazine's managing editor, and with me in the studio today are deputy editor Jeremy Pound and reviews editor Michael Beek. Hello. Hello. We're here today to chat about our August issue, which is out now. It's packed with features, news, interviews and reviews, including expert opinions on dozens of new releases. And this month, we have a reader offer for you. We've teamed up with streaming service Primephonic to give you four months of access absolutely free. Sign up and you can enjoy delving into more than 100,000 albums from 2,000 record labels. Setting up your free access is easy. Go to www.primephonic.com primephonic.com forward slash music and use the voucher code 24bit 24bit. So without further ado, on with the show. It's been a busy month in the classical music world and we've brought along just one news story each that's caught our eye, but you'll find plenty more in our August issue. So I'm going to kick things off with a look at one of the big events in the musical calendar, Cardiff Singer of the World, which this year was won by the Ukrainian baritone Andrei Kimach, who in the final sang Bizet, Rachmaninoff and Donizetti. Uh, let's hear a clip of him now. <laughs> Страсти, 
I, I watched the final on television, actually, and I have to say, I thought the standard was incredibly high this year. Was he a worthy winner? I, I did think he was. He had a super, a really superb voice. One commentator described it as the Rolls-Royce voice. It just, just as soon as you listened to it, you were kind of completely enveloped in it. Um, but I have to say, I wouldn't have been surprised if one or two of the others had won. There was a wonderful tenor, a really sparkling uh, South Korean soprano, and the wild card entry was um, the mezzo Guadalupe Barrientos, who had a really wonderful sense of character and expression. What do you mean exactly by a wild card entry? So when they have been going through the rounds in the previous week, uh, there's a winner at the end of each round who goes through to the final, but the judges have a wild card that they can choose, someone who didn't win their round, but they think deserves to be in the final. And that was her uh, this year. Excellent. Yeah. And what did you make of the... What did you make of Kimachi's repertoire in the final? Do you think it really kind of suited his voice and showed it off in different aspects of it? Well, I have to say he chose, I thought, quite safe, not desperately interesting repertoire. I, didn't, I thought he was a bit more interesting in the earlier part of the competition. So he did... Um, something from Bizet's Carmen and some Donizetti, but then it was the Rachmaninoff, this aria from Aleko, that really suited his voice brilliantly, actually. And that's where I thought he that would have been the winning part, I would have thought. Mm, so, um, And there was also something quite apt about a baritone winning it this year um, in the competition paid tribute to the late Dmitry Havorostovsky, who, as Jeremy's about to tell us, of course, won in 1989. Yes, he was in the famous bar- Battle of the Baritones, um, which was, at that stage, Cardiff Singh was only... only it was only six years old as a competition, and it already kind of established itself quite well. And then in 1989, there was this formidable competition between Dmitry Vorostovsky and Bryn Terfel, which got dubbed the Battle of the Baritones. And although there were five people in the final, these two really stood out. And it was, which was going to win? Was it going to be this? He was already quite an established singer, was Vorostovsky. Um, and Bryn Terfel was sort of the young local boy. Well, I say local, though, because Bryn is North Welsh and Cardiff is down in South Wales. But he was still viewed as the local boy. And Forestovsky won. Now, of course, um, both of them have gone on to a formidable career since. Um, but then, of course, tragically, two years ago, Dmitry Forestovsky died of brain cancer. Um, so there's sort of a like, kind of a, a sad tinge to this year's competition as they remembered probably their most famous winner of all time. So mm. it's quite nice that a, a baritone won it in, mm. this year. And I think it's the first baritone to win since 2003 as well. So yes. it's been a long run of Absolutely. no baritones. And actually, I bumped into um, Dame Felicity Lott in Germany last week when I was at the she was one of the Stress judges. Festival, she was one of the judges. She just hot-footed it straight from Cardiff to... <laughs> to us down in Garmisch Partenkirk and, and, and she was delighted that the baritone won. She was really, was she? really thrilled. Um, and of course, there were other winners as well. The song prize went to the Chinese tenor uh, Ming Ji Lei and the Dame Joan Sutherland Audience Prize went to the British mezzo Katie Bray. I ought to point out at this stage that Katie Bray, about two years ago, recorded a CD for BBC Music magazine, of a cover course. CD, along with the likes of Mary Bevan and Roderick Williams of Schumann Songs. That's Both Schumann's, Clara and Robert Schumann. Really lovely recording. So if you want to, our, our regular readers can go and look through their old CD collection and check her, her voice out on that. Yeah. And just for the sake of, of completing the circle, I'll mention that Jamie Barton, who was a more recent winner of Cardiff Singer of the World in, in 2013, and she's going to be performing at the last night of the proms this year. And she's just been interviewed by Clemency Burtonhill for the August issue. So have a look through your copy for that too. Wow, it all comes together rather nicely. <laughs> it does indeed. Uh, Jeremy, what news story have you brought along for today? Well, this is quite an interesting piece of news. Um, the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra has announced that it is to set up a new school. Now, it's, what's quite interesting about this school is that it's not a specialist music school, but it is 
a, it's a, a non-fee-paying school which will have music at its heart. So it's not like the kind of Cheetons or the Purcell School. It's a proper, just a normal school, but it will have real focus on music education within its daily curriculum. They've set it up with the Shireland Collegiate Academy Trust, and it's going to be called the Shireland CBSO School. And it's in Sandwell, which is um, it's a borough which is just on the edge of Birmingham in the, mm. kind of the Black Country area. Yeah. Um, and... It's going to open in 2021, so this is going to be happening really rather quickly for Year 7 to Year 12 people, so basically that's a standard secondary school. Mm -hmm. And by 2025, they aim to have 870 students, so it is going to be a proper-sized school. And the idea is that it's going to have um, music lessons will be free, which kind of bucks the trend for a lot of schools these days. Um, There's not an awful lot of free music music education going around Mm -hmm. in secondary schools. Um, And also the orchestra will involve itself in different ways in this school, in that it will invite pupils to come to rehearsals and actually Mm -hmm. to involve themselves with the day-to-day music and teach... um, members of the orchestra will help with teaching etc etc so the 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 children will be really involved with the orchestra from from the outset what a fantastic idea yeah it sounds like a really great great idea to put music right at the heart of what's going on yes and it's interesting that cbso have done it um i was aware of the halle thinking about doing it or they mentioned it about two or three years ago there was talk about halle plans because halle and cbso it's worth saying are brilliant at outreach work in general Mm. um they've Mm. been straight going out to schools for a long time Mm. doing really superb work on the halle up in manchester of course cbso down in birmingham and it's kind of with both orchestras it seems like a very natural step to make but obviously it's a huge undertaking Mm. to launch your own school but um those those are the plans and that's part of the sort of these new f- uh, free schools isn't it like 22 have just been given funding i think including it, this one so exactly make it the school you want it to be in, in a mm. sense and it'd be interesting to see how well they develop the curriculum within the school how, how it all works out yeah. um, it's it's a very it's a, it's a kind of brave new world really definitely. yeah oh, that sounds fantastic. hopefully not the last yeah Michael, what have you brought along today? Um, so similarly education-based in a way is uh, the, the recent opening of Tanglewood's new Lind Centre, which is the, where the Tanglewood Learning Institute is, is going to be based during the summer. The, the great news about it for, for Tanglewood is that it, for the first time it can be an, a year-round venue because at the moment Tanglewood is only open during the summer months as part of its, its music festival. Um, so they've got this brilliant, beautiful new uh, campus on the Tanglewood uh, grounds uh, with 6,000 new square feet of performance and rehearsal space. Um, It's going to be... it's going to give people the opportunity to observe rehearsals, uh, take part in immersive weekends, interactive talks, masterclasses and sort of arts experience during the festival, but also throughout the year as well, which is a real boon for the local. A lot of our listeners will know where Tanglewood is, but just remind us. Absolutely. Tanglewood forgotten. is in Western Massachusetts. So it's the, the summer home officially of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, so it's a summer base, but for the first time will be opened up sort of all year round. And is that to everybody? It's to everyone. Ages. So all all ages, uh, you know, people who live locally can take part in events, but of course, yeah. obviously, tourism as well will, will be opened up to it. Um, it. It's a great space. It's solar powered. So the whole place is, is very, very green. Um, and as part of the Tanglewood Festival, there's obviously a summer program, which is called the Tanglewood Learning Institute. And that's going to be connected to the program. So all the visiting artists will be in there doing masterclasses and workshops and all sorts of stuff. And they will be filming and streaming from there. So it's a real, really exciting, interactive yeah. sort of 21st century music space. I think maybe we were talking about this the other day, like 
being able to see a bit behind the scenes of um, what performers are doing when they're on stage and going to masterclasses and seeing all that is actually sometimes some of the most exciting part of, of, it is. of, of music making in a Although way. Tanglewood itself, the site is large, it's beautiful, almost like Arboretum, if you like, with these sort of beautiful little buildings dotted around. It's the, the things that happen there during the summer months are sort of closed off from the public apart from the concerts. So for the first time, people can actually go in and see the masterclasses happening, see the composers and the, the musicians working together in these new spaces. So so it's really exciting. Great. Well, let's move on now to this month's magazine. This month's magazine. So don't forget our website at classical-music.com, where you can read all about the latest music happenings, read thousands of reviews and a good deal more. Plus, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we have an iPad edition available on the App Store. And if you fancy subscribing to our print edition, we have a special discount for our wonderful podcast listeners. All of you can now get 30% off every six issues, which takes the cost to just £25.15. You can claim the offer by visiting buysubscriptions.com forward slash music podcast. Let's start with some music. So that was the Lento from Weinberg's Symphony Number no. 21, which is from our recording of the month. Michael, what makes this recording so special? It is a really special recording. Obviously released, I say obviously, it's released in the sort of the centenary year of the Polish composer Weinberg. Um, it's the CBSO, again, here we are, CBSO, uh, with their brilliant conductor, Miego Grajnita Tila, uh, also with Gideon Kramer uh, on violin as well. And it's two symphonies. So uh, both uh, Gideon Kramer and uh, Miego Grajnita Tila are staunch advocates of Weinberg's music and their passion for his music really comes through in this performance. Um, Gideon Kramer's violin performance is really charismatic and the the actual the emotion in the recording is is very very heightened based on the fact uh, that this symphony number no. twenty one is dedicated to the victims of the Warsaw Ghetto. So it's a very personal symphony for the composer, um, and you know it's utterly devastating the listen, uh, and it's a beautiful beautiful performance as well. Mm. And what labels that on? That's on Deutsche Grammophon. Mm. Mm. I was actually heard the UK premiere. Um, of the, that symphony up in, in Birmingham to take us back to ah, <laughs> our previous discussion. Uh, it was, I mean, it was, as you say, completely devastating. Mm. Um, and that was with Mirga conducting and, and Guidon Kramer playing the violin. Um, but just this real sense of the trauma, really, of everything that had been through and this kind of sense of memorialisation going on in the music as well. Absolutely. Really... And um, Guidon Kramer, in our interview uh, with the review, says he considers this release one of the most important celebrating Weinberg centenary. I think he's probably right. Well, we have a, another composer on the cover of our August issue, Puccini. He's on the cover looking very dapper and roguish in his jaunty hat. And he was quite a character. And, of course, his operas feature a cast of gripping heroines and dastardly villains, quite like un, un, unlike anyone else's. So just quickly, who are your favourite Puccini characters, Jeremy and Michael? 
Um, I'm going for Chochosan, the butterfly in Madame Butterfly. She's just utterly tragic. She's in love. She's unloved. She's desperate. Probably a bit naive, but she's, yeah. it's just a beautiful, beautiful role. And of course, that beautiful aria, my favourite, Mbelti Vendrimo. Lovely. I'm going to say Scarpia from Tosca, who's not just my favourite Puccini role, but possibly my favourite role in all of opera. Goodness me. I think he's wonderful because he's... <laughs> He's got absolutely no redeeming features at all. He's quite a vile piece of work. Um, and everything you expect from him, you get, that you're left in no doubt. This is why he's such a brilliant character, is that he has this evil motif which rides through the whole oh, opera. And whenever you hear it, you just know that his presence is looming over mm. everyone. So if they're in the church, you hear, this, you hear this motif and it casts a shadow of the whole opera. It's brilliantly, brilliantly mm, nice. cast by my Puccini. Mm. And that's one of the things that Puccini did so well, wasn't it, was putting the drama in the orchestra as well. So it's not just the plot and what they're singing on stage. It's mm-hmm. just you hear it and you feel it in the, the symphony as orchestra as well. And there's this wonderful moment, just po- possibly just quickly going back to Scarpa, is that where even in church, when he's theoretically praying and being pious, his mind is actually drifting towards Tosca and, you know, mm. how much he fancies her, et cetera, et cetera. He's, he's got nothing good going for him at all, mm. but it makes him into a great character. Our cover feature this month is by our writer Christopher Cook, and he has taken a look at all of Puccini's, or ten of his operas, um, and he's looked at why they're so popular, but more particularly, he's looked at how Puccini actually really shook the foundations of the opera world and um, managed to actually be pushing the boundaries in, in each of his operas, which is possibly not something we always think about with Puccini. I think we think of him as this, you know, writer of brilliant characters, great melodies, and very popular works. So we don't necessarily think about what it is that he's doing that kind of changed opera. Um, so that piece really takes us through that opera by opera to, to see where where he's going. So that's our cover feature in the August issue. And we also have pieces on Charlie Chaplin, his hidden composing talent. Uh, 15 times film characters went to the opera, the weird and wonderful world of extended techniques and a vivid introduction to the life and music of the Venetian composer Barbara Strozzi. But to... But for our next bit of discussion, Jeremy's going to tell us about a piece on the music of Notre Dame. Yes, well, everyone saw the, the terrible pictures of the blaze which took over Notre Dame in Paris in April, um, on the 15th of April this year. Um, that the whole building wasn't destroyed was quite remarkable. And actually, a lot of the infrastructure inside was left quite strangely intact, including, we think, the organ. Now, obviously, it's going to take a long time to rebuild the inside of the cathedral, and we don't know what sort of da- Although the organ looks as though it's still in one piece, you should ima- you will imagine that the damage to the inside of the pipes, etc., mm. would have been significant, and they're going to have to pull the whole thing apart, give mm-hmm. it a clean, mm-hmm. whatever, and retune it and all that. Yeah. Re- but it does see- still seem to be still seem to be working. Um, to m- kind of pay our respects to this wonderful building, as it now kind of goes out of action for at least two or three years, um, we decided to have a look back at its extraordinary history in in music. Um, It has a claim to be the sort of birthplace of Western music itself because this is where the composers Léonin and Perrotin back in the 13th century kind of laid the groundwork of modern polyphony as we know it. Um, That's two voices kind of moving against each other. Um, has a, had a very strong choral tradition throughout the years. And then from about the 19th century onwards, this extraordinary organ tradition, um, where some of the great organists of, of their period kind of, that's, they had a, one of the most famous, of course, was Louis Vienne, who was organist there um, in the late 19th, early 20th century. Um, he actually died at the console of the organ. 
and he was one of the great organ symphony writers, plus much besides. Um, and it's Cavalier Cole organ is one of the kind of great instruments in France. And that's, for France, that's saying something because it's a country full of great mm. instruments. Mm. Um, and the person who's written this piece is Edward Higginbottom, who many people might know is the former music director of New College Oxford, the choir there, very famous. But he actually studied in Paris um, with Marie-Claire Alain, the organist. Um, so he knows the scene backwards. And he gives a very sort of personal introduction to his what it's meant to him to see this terrible fire um, and before going into the history of the building itself. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the piece, we actually talked to the current Notre Dame organist, Olivier Latry, and asked him for his thoughts as well. It's just such an incredible... When you stop and just think about the cultural history of that yeah, building... I hadn't appreciated that at all. Just incredible, yeah. isn't it? Because, I mean, you see the big stained glass windows mm-hmm. and everything, but then going back into the musical tradition, just how important it was. I have to kind of add a sort of little bit of a personal connection here because um, Edward Higginbottom was my choir master when I was a chorister many, 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 many years ago. And we did actually sing a service just before Christmas um, in Notre Dame um, in 1984. And it was a very magical experience. I bet. Filling those, I bet. those great arches with our, our sound. Whereas mm. this took me back to my second year at university when I was studying the notation of 13th century music. <laughs> Maybe a bit less magical. <laughs> but yes, it's, it's, a very, it's a very important building in the history of, of Western yeah. music. And it's a wonderful, wonderful piece. And the sooner it gets back together, yeah. the better. Yeah. Well, there's a French uh, theme actually to our cover CD this month as well, which we're just going to hear a clip from. Um, so the CD features music by Ravel, Debussy and Lily Boulanger. And we're going to hear uh, Azie from Ravel's Scheherazade, which here is sung by Sarah Connolly with the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Thomas Sondergaard. <laughs> So that was a performance from our August cover CD, which comes free with the August issue. Uh, Now let's have a listen to some other recordings that we've been enjoying this past month. So just before we kick off with sharing our favourite new recordings, I'd like to tell you about how you can get involved in sharing your musical discoveries with us and fellow readers. So you can join the Listening Room, which is a a group for all things classical on Facebook. Uh, You can hear our choice of the latest recordings on our playlist curator page on Apple Music. So once you're there, you just look for the playlist. And also don't forget, if you send us what you've been listening to at music at classical-music.com, you could be in with a chance of being published on our Music to My Ears page in the next issue. 
Right, so let's get on to the what we've been listening to. Uh, Michael, what have you brought along? Um, I brought along a new release on the Chandos Movies uh, label, which is uh, the Screen Choice, because this August issue has our Screen Reviews page in it, which we do three issues a year. Uh, and that is the film music of Gerard Sherman, who's actually a composer I'd not heard of before. And I think he's absolutely brilliant. A uh, real unsung hero. He's still with us, 95 years old, actually. lives in Los Angeles now. Um, and uh, the disc is full of of just amazing pieces, real broad strokes, high adventure, and it's quite obvious he deserved much sort of higher profile projects during his film music career. Um, I've chosen a piece uh, from a Disney film called Dr. Sin, alias the Scarecrow, called Flight from the King's Men. That was uh, Flight from the King's Men uh, from the film Dr. Sin, alias the Scarecrow, performed by the BBC Philharmonic under Ramon Gamba. This month, I've brought along a disc on the BIS label of the Icelandic composer Jon Leifs. And this is his uh, Edda II, The Lives of the God. So he was kind of Iceland's first nationalist composer. He lived from ni- 1899 to 1968. Mm-hmm. And the three-part Edda Oratorio, although he didn't actually finish part three, was kind of his life's work, essentially. Um, It draws on medieval Icelandic poetry and prose and uses Norse myths. And this is the first recording of of part two that was made last year uh, by the Iceland Symphony Orchestra um, under Hermann Baumer. And I would like to play a part from the first movement, which is depicting Odin, the father of all the gods. And it has this... Well, the music, it, it, it's sort of very craggy in a way and quite raw. It's got a little percussion in and these sort of big, well, sort of choral orchestral work. Uh, but the point we're going to go in, it has this very distinctive yodeling tenor solo- soloist. It's marked as if yodeling in the score. So I, I just thought that would be quite interesting for us to have a listen to.
So that was the first movement of Jon Leif's Edda 2, which is out now on BIS. Jeremy, what have you got to, to round off this podcast? Right, well, this is a disc I've been looking forward to coming out for quite a while. Um, back in 2016, um, at the Cheltenham Music Festival, I went along to the world premiere of Howes' Cello Concerto, as did you, in fact, Rebecca. I was there too, yeah. At Gloucester Cathedral, played by Guy Johnson. Now then, <clears throat> Howells himself died in 1983, so obviously it's not a brand new work, but he had written most of his cello concertos, dates from the 1930s, but had left bits undone. Um, and it's taken the work of two scholars, originally Christopher Palmer, who finished the Central Threnody movement, um, and then Jonathan Clinch, um, who more recently completed the finale. Um, so between them, they've actually got together this, this version which can be performed, and that was what happened at Gloucester Cathedral, and three years ago. Now, Guy Johnson has recorded it um, on disc, and I've been looking forward to it. It's a gorgeous work. It's kind of in, in the spirit of Elgar's cello concerto, I'd say. It's quite a mournful. The Threnody in particular is some of Howells' most beautiful writing. Um, you don't often hear about Howells for his orchestral music, because, of course, he's much more famous for his choral music. Um, but this is a really good example of him at his best. Um, and I think, um, I have to say, Jonathan Clinch has done an absolutely fantastic job with the last movement as well. And I, although I kind of enjoyed it when I heard it at the premiere, you can only take so much in from one performance. So actually to be able to hear it again and actually take it in properly is wonderful. Um, highly recommended. Controversially, I'm not going to play that now because there's something else I want, to, I want our listeners to hear. Um, Guy Johnson, who plays the cello on this disc, was a King's chorister and... This disc has actually been released on the King's College label. And on the same disc, we hear an orchestrated version of Howells' Collegium Regale service, the Magnificat thereof, which has been orchestrated by John Rutter and sung by King's College Choir um, with the Britain Symphonia. And it is conducted by the now Sir Stephen Clearbury, who is in his very final year as music director of King College, King's College Choir. Now then... Lots of our listeners will probably know the original Collegium Regale with organ. It's a very fine piece of music, but they, they won't know this because it's never been orchestrated before. I've yet to make up my mind about it, whether I like it or not, but I think it's, I'm quite keen for people to hear it. So here is the Gloria, and it's certainly magnificent, I'll give it that. Great. Well, that brings us to the end of the August issue podcast. Uh, do join us again next month when we'll be discussing uh, all the latest news again and bringing our new discs. And we'll be talking about the September issue of the magazine. In the meantime, it's goodbye from us. Goodbye. 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 The BBC Music Magazine Podcast.